Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Check out all their offerings, all their podcasts, all their live events at OsirisPod.com. In this episode, I am pleased to offer an interview with activist and organizer Louis L. Reed, as well as filmmaker Brandon Kramer, about the important prison reform documentary called The First Step. Lewis's story is really wild. He's organized a national grassroots network of reform activists after serving 14 years in federal prison. And Brandon is a Washington, D.C.-based filmmaker and co-founder of Meriden Hill Pictures. He directed City of Trees and the Webby Award-winning independent documentary series The Messy Truth. He won Best Director at the 2016 Chesapeake Film Festival and Indie Capital Awards, received the Audience Choice Award at the 2015 American Conservative Film Festival, and was a 2015 DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities Individual Arts Fellow. His latest documentary finds activist and famed CNN correspondent Van Jones in a divided America, controversially working across party lines on landmark criminal justice reform and a more humane response to America's addiction crisis. Attempting to be a bridge builder in a time of extreme polarization takes him deeper into the inner workings of a divisive administration, internal debates with both parties, and the lives of frontline activists fighting for their communities. And we are lucky enough to have one of those frontline activists with us here today. Facing fierce opposition from both political parties in a climate where bipartisanship has become a dirty word, Jones and his team enlist the support of justice-impacted individuals faith leaders, grassroots activists, and cultural figures, including Kim Kardashian, to pass legislation that would fix some broken aspects of the justice system and bring thousands of incarcerated people home early. The bill's champions immediately find themselves navigating a high-stakes game of political chess in Washington, D.C. While trying to pass a bipartisan bill through a deeply polarized Congress, Jones is condemned by the right for his progressive beliefs and by the left for working with conservatives. The film reveals an intimate portrait of an activist's isolation and internal struggles, what it takes to make change in a divided nation, and everyday people in both political parties drawn into a historic fight for freedom and justice. New Yorkers and Tri-Staters take note that the first step is screening this weekend at the Justice Film Festival. Uh, the Justice Film Festival is one of my favorite festivals. It's the premier showcase for films that shine a light on social justice and affirm the dignity of all people. Learn more about it in the links I have in the show notes. Really want to check it out. They have their all their showtimes and schedule of events up there on their website. Uh, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy and learn a lot with this interview with Lewis L. Reed and Brandon Kramer. Podcast. 
appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the program. It's a, uh, it's an inspiring doc. It's an important doc. This topic's important. Many, many lives are affected by this, and it's inspiring what you're doing. And so I'm glad to talk about. It. Thank you very much. Look, I, I appreciate you having me on and the opportunity to be even be able to talk about this, uh, this docu film. Yeah. So. We're going to get started. Hopefully, um, uh, the director here, Brandon Kramer, will jump in, but I have Lewis L. Reed with me. Uh, and I'd just like to start out kind of like with some foundational in information. I'm thinking a bunch of people are going to jump on and listen to this episode uh, who might not even really know about First Step and might not know about the organization you work with. So let's just start right there. What was the aim of First Step when, you know, when this bill was kind of coming to life and being created? Yeah, look, uh, the First Step bill is... Uh, something that literally is historic. Um, mm -hmm. In 2018, we embarked on a journey in order to be able to rectify a lot of the issues that were uh, just so prevalent and pervasive on the federal level um, as it relates to our criminal uh, legal system. Yeah. And so the genesis of the bill uh, included a conversation with Van Jones, uh, Jessica Jackson, who's the chief advocacy and operations officer at Reform Alliance, um, and Jared Kushner, of, of all people, you know, uh, so shocking. Uh, yeah, un unlikely allies. Um, yeah. But, you know, we function from a notion that common pain should lead to common purpose. And as has been well publicized, Jared Kushner is a child of a formerly incarcerated parent. And so, you know, that that initial conversation included um, increasing telephone time. Mm -hmm. and increasing visiting hours time for people who were incarcerated on the federal level. Mm -hmm. And then as the conversation um, just got more in the weeds of things, uh, Van and Jessica saw that there should be uh, something more bolder, something more courageous, and mm -hmm. something more uh, substantial um, that was going, that could uh, spring out, out, of, out of their conversations um, and so ultimately what ended up happening was that uh, we developed this bill uh, called the First Step Act. Mm -hmm. uh, and that bill consisted of provisions that did one of several things. Number one, it uh, prohibited the shackling of pregnant women who were incarcerated on a federal level. It provided free feminine hygiene products for women who were incarcerated on the federal level. Mm -hmm. It called for people who were incarcerated to be within 500 driving miles of their last known address, you know, simply because for, you know, obvious purposes for family reunification purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, more importantly, uh, or I should say equal, just as equally importantly, uh, back in 2010, when Obama passed the Fair Sentencing Act, there were a lot of people, especially black, brown and poor white folks who were disproportionately impacted by crack cocaine. And when that bill was passed in 2010, it was not retroactive. So for our listening audience, in effect, what it means is that the people who were incarcerated got left behind. Um, any, any of those folks who got incarcerated after 2010, even though the law said that um, it was unfair and it was uh, uh the disparity, uh, uh, those people got left behind. So what the First Step Act did was actually go back um, and, you know, provide uh, retroactivity and relief for those individuals. Absolutely crucial. Um, I'd like to hear about your organization. Um, I know it was called Cut, uh, Cut 50 originally, but it's been rebranded. 
um, that works for its Van Jones organization that you're a part of. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So look, um, you know, Cut 50 was uh, conceptualized uh, back in 2015, 16 or so. Mm -hmm. And it was conceptualized with the notion um, that we wanted to cut the U.S. prison uh, population in half. Um, and we wanted to do that within the next 10 years. Mm. Um, good thing it's not wasn't called cut 50 slash 10. Uh, <laughs> but but ultimately, uh, ultimately, you know, we embarked on a journey. And I think that as a result of the uh, First Step Act, to date, we've been able to get more than 75,000 people uh, free under that one bill alone. And our collective, yeah, yeah our collective uh, impact, if you were to quantify it, over the last three or four years or so, um, or I should say five years now, yeah, yeah, over the yeah. last five years or so, um, collectively, we've been able to pass more than 30 bills nationwide, uh, impacting a third of the United States women's prison population. And we've also impacted more than 650,000 people, wow. um, which when you quantify those numbers more finite, mm -hmm. those are more than three million years of human freedom restored back into our communities. Wow. That's a lot. That's that's wild. Me putting there. So we had Brandon Kramer just jump in here, the director of the film. Brandon, thank you for joining us. We just went through two things real quick. We kind of just talked about what the first steps aim was as a bill, and then talked more about COP fifty and, and what what that was doing. But thank you for joining us here today, Brandon. Yeah, I'm so sorry to uh, Michael, to you, and to Lewis for for being late. Appreciate hey, your guys' patience. We were holding down. We got things going a little bit. Um, so just to kind of reel it back a little bit now that you're here, Brandon, I'd love to hear kind of how, and I always love to ask documentaries, filmmakers, because um, they bring so much of their passion to the table and things like this. When did, um, you know, how this come to life? I, I, I think I saw uh, it started with a breakfast with Van Jones after that Trump, that, that, that Trump election uh, footage. It always really it brings back some trauma for me watching in the beginning. But that's kind of how it began, a conversation with Van about, about what he wanted to do. Yeah, you know, it's well. I mean, it really started with, you know, the several years of relationship building that we had with Van leading up to that breakfast. So, you know, Van was uh, uh, an executive producer on our first film. We made a web series with him called The Messy Truth, which was all about how to have conversations across divides. It's a web series that we released with him. And then the 2016 election happened and, you know, Trump, <laughs> Trump was elected Van said to Lance and I that uh, a lot of his peers and other leaders in the progressive movement and the criminal justice movement were going to be doing everything they could to fight this administration and resist all the harmful actions that they were going to take. Yeah. And Van basically you know, said that he was going to be one of the few people that were going to be reaching across the aisle, going to be looking for any small opportunities to find common ground to get something done on these issues that he's been fighting for his whole life and as a documentary filmmaker oh sorry did you i don't want to cut you off nope. do you say nope. something oh nope. Not at all. as a as a documentary filmmaker you know who is really interested in complicated mm -hmm. difficult pathways toward change and really like you know the the ways that we're working toward social justice and equity and and change a lot of those things are not working right now so as a filmmaker i'm really drawn to leaders 
and uh, and and activists and movements that are trying something different. Yeah. And Van was everyone was running one way. Van was running a completely different direction. And I felt like no matter if he succeeded or what actually happened at this point in time, the first step back didn't exist as a piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. Van didn't know Jared Kushner, but I felt like documenting and telling a story about what bridge building looks like mm -hmm. in this extremely polarized moment would be a really important document for the American public to have to understand how to move forward in this divisive time. Yeah, I mean, just finding, just seeing the idea that it's actually possible, because I think so many people do think just with how divisive things are, that it's not possible to to reach across that aisle. But he did, he's kind of saw an opportunity, um, as he said, that kind of the criminal justice system was so bad that even Republicans would re admit it. But he also saw kind of like this moment in time where there was, um, you know, white people in, in rural places were struggling with addiction and and, and, you know, there was a linkage that that he saw in his mind between the urban community and the rural community, that it was an opportunity for them to come together and talk about it and work on it. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's kind of at the heart of the documentary a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think Van is an extremely strategic activist and leader. And, you know, you see it in the film when he's going through his bookshelf, he's saying, you know, if, if we don't understand, if we don't research and study and understand the opposition, how can we actually defeat them? Um, he's very tactical. And I think he looked at this administration and looked at the Republican Party, and he was just looking for any inroads there were. And so he heard a lot of Republican leaders speaking about the opioid epidemic and the fact that it was devastating white communities, uh, in particular, white communities in a lot of red states like West Virginia. And, you know, instead of his reaction to that, instead of having, he was obviously aware that there was an incredibly uh, disproportionate response to that epidemic compared to the epidemic that has uh, negatively impacted uh, black black people and people of color in this country, and the response to that crisis uh, has been to lead to incarceration. Whereas the response to the you know a lot of these white communities has been treatment and recovery and drug addiction, uh, yeah, tr uh, yeah and treating it as an addiction problem. So he obviously knew that disparity was there, but his response to it was, "How do I make sure that the attention that's going toward this issue?" is a point of common ground and how can we actually come together and bring the communities that have been devastated by addiction and, and incarceration into the fold and create a, a source of empathy and connection there. So that was that was something that he he thought of and then you know he took action on it. He brought a group of community leaders from South LA who have been right. fighting the drug epidemic there for decades yeah. who have lost loved ones there, got them on a plane, brought them to rural West Virginia to sit down at a diner with, uh, with community leaders there who are white, mostly conservative, mm -hmm. who have lost loved ones in their life and create a real emotional connection between these two different communities. And then that uh, that connection, that relationship, that brotherhood 
that was created in that diner, in those diners in West Virginia was then brought to Washington, D.C. And this united coalition of, of rural and urban, white, black, uh, red and blue came together and advocated for a shared solution to the drug epidemic and mass incarceration. Yeah. So inspiring to see that, you know, what could really happen to the power when we come together like that. Um, a big part of the doc is obviously the backlash that, uh, you know, Van faces. I'm sure, uh, Lewis, you faced a bunch of it too, of, of just kind of, you know, when you reach across the aisle, when you're dealing with people like Jared Kushner, um, it's, it, there's a, I mean, you see it in the, in, in the doc all throughout. There's people from DL Hoogley to, you know, um, uh, people who work in Black Lives Matter who are pushing, pushing back on him and, and just saying it's not okay, legitimize him. How did it feel, um, Lewis, to kind of uh, navigate things when that type of bag backlash kind of from your own side is coming at you? That's, that's, that's got to be pretty intense. Look, I, I, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that um, there is a degree of intensity, as you described, mm. when you do get that backlash. But you have to consider that we function from a space of, you know, being directly impacted. I did 14 years in federal prison. Mm. And so my advocacy was not about politics. It was about people. It was about people who were in prison, mm. people who didn't have a Twitter account. People who, in effect, didn't care who was in the White House uh, so long as they didn't get out of the prison house to get back home to their own house. That's that's who my responsibility were, were, was to. That's who my quote unquote constituency was. Uh, you know, Jessica Jackson, who's uh, the father of her child and her ex-husband. Um, the reason why she got into this work as an attorney was because, you know, she um, was the wife of a person who was uh, incarcerated. Hmm. Uh, Van Jones himself springboarded his career, um, you know, fighting to keep super jails, juvenile super jails from being built in the Bay Area. So this was personal for us. So we didn't have the luxury of sitting around monitoring Twitter, seeing uh, who was on Instagram, you know, making memes about us, et cetera. Right. We were dealing with real lives and the real lives that we wanted to get released uh, from federal prison included people like Clover Perez, uh, included people like Lonnie and Lyle Jones, who were first time offenders and sentenced to uh, life sentences. Uh, and they had served 20 years on a life sentence, respectively, who were personal friends of mine that we were able to get released, right? Like we, literally people from all four corners of this country and everywhere in between, those are the people who we were fighting, who on whose behalf we were fighting for. People whose voices were diminished as a result of excessive prosecution mm -hmm. and, and disproportionate sentencing. Um, and so those folks that, you know, had the luxury of saying we shouldn't have been tethered to the Trump administration, we shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, we tapped into the spirit of the 1959 uh, civil rights you know, movement that led to the 1964 civil rights bill, where there was a fierce urgency of now. Um, and if not now, when? Um, and if not when, then, you know, who, who, who if, if not us, who? And so that was our that was the notion that that we operated from. And we were you know, we did that without compunction. Yeah, well, it was really um, there was a real moment for frustration for um, Van at one point. He was talking about people going to the White House and, you know, he's like, if only, 
you know, bad people go, there's no good people in there. And I thought that was really interesting. It's, it's, it's sometimes you kind of got to bite the bullet and get involved and get in, get in bed, so to speak with, with, with some of these people to get things done. I actually, I think it's super admirable and, 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 and it's, you know, it's, it's some of that backlash seemed pretty intense to me, but it was just, this is, you know, any way to make change in that way. It seems really, really special to me. Can I ask a little bit about, um, you talked, I know, you know, your, your personal backstory, Lewis, and then I'm glad you mentioned Jessica Jackson, super uh, inspiring as well in her backstory. But um, what um, what would you say drives Van? I mean, he's very driven to to to, um, you know, I know Rodney King's uh, verdict uh, really affected him. And and just, you know, being a black man in America is obviously that experience. But, um, you know, what really keeps him going? Because it took a lot at times with the kind of the beating he was taking. What's what what drives him? Well, I, I think that everything that you describe, right, like being a black man in America who um, is from Tennessee, who, you know, Van comes from a background um, where his father was in law enforcement. Right. Um, and he himself was, you know, exposed to um, just the, the run of the mill things that any black man uh, in America is going to be exposed to, right? Like driving driving while black, eating while black, um, having friends who uh, are incarcerated or and or harassed by the police. He often tells, you know, a very public story about how when he went to Yale, he saw more, you know, affluent uh, people selling drugs on, on, on those campuses, but yet the SWAT team didn't raid uh, their dorm rooms. Um, but yet and still here it was five, not even five miles away, five minutes away um, mm -hmm. in the projects that's not too far from the Yale campus. You had, uh, you know, the SWAT team that would militarize the, uh, you know, come in militarized fashion um, for 50 grams of crack cocaine. And it just wasn't right. And I think that when we're talking about Van, what's inspiring um, and what motivates Van is the same thing that motivates me as a black man. Um, it's the same thing that motivates Jess, Jessica as a white woman. Um, it's the same thing that motivated the Kramer brothers as 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 Jewish men, right? It's the same thing that motivated Topeka K. Sam, who was one of our you know uh, uh, leading advocates on the, on this bill, um, who was a black woman. Um, and it's a righteous indignation mm. when you see wrong, you want to correct that wrong. Um, when you and, and when you see that something needs to be changed. You want to be, become a part of the change of the something that needs to take place. Um, and ultimately, the same thing that, you know, lights a candle and, and burns a, a, a candle, I should say, in Van's spirit is the same thing that burns the, the same candle in, in all of the aforementioned. Yeah. Can, I, can I just add one thing to yeah. the, van, the Van question? Mm -hmm. Everything Lewis said, the other thing that I, I, is not insignificant is winning. Van is, you know, I remember the first time I met Van, I, I walk in, I walk into his apartment yeah. and sitting over his bed is a big poster of Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Van, as far as his, his, his deeper spiritual calling, you know, it's all the things Lewis said, but um, he's also just incredibly driven toward victory and toward winning. Mm -hmm. And so if you have uh, the moral goal that Lewis just said, and you are, your determination is not how people feel about you, your relationships even, but the actual end goal of victory, which to Van is people walking out of the doors of a prison, then you will do everything. You will 
whatever you will you will take what you will do whatever it takes you will lose relationships you will and that's that's what you know as filmmakers we were really drawn to this like incredible story of a victory of tens of thousands of people releasing released from prison and also the extraordinary isolation Mm. that comes from that um you know the movie ends with people walking out of uh the courtroom and and out of prison and also van is there you know fairly isolated and i think you know you you were talking about taking the blows lewis and van I don't I want to underscore how extremely difficult that was to for them to do that. They didn't know this bill was going to pass. We didn't know it was going to pass until literally the day before. And also it wasn't like the bill passed and then the entire movement came around and said, "Lewis, thank you so much for, you know, crossing that divide, going into the White House, doing these things." That didn't really, you know, maybe some people did that, but Lewis, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 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 um the risks that you guys took relationally and and within the movement those those were those continue to persist to this day is that is that accurate that's, 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 completely, accurate. that's completely accurate we lost relationships um as a result of our strategy we lost our relationships i personally lost relationships as a result of being tethered to the trump administration um it was it was incredibly divisive without question yeah I hope uh, people could step back and, and watch this doc and see see what you were fighting for, why you were fighting for and everything. I mean, that win you're speaking of, Brandon, happened during the Trump administration. I, that is still mind blowing. I mean, if you step back and look at that being the case. So, um, you know, I know we talked about the aim of the first step, but so after it was passed, what what did that lead to? What what's what's what was the end game for people who are incarcerated at that point? Well, look, I think that not that I think I know. Um, the bill has done one of several things. Um, there has been approximately 12 to 15 other bills on the state level. Mm-hmm. That was a version of the First Step Act um, mm-hmm. that were passed um, on the federal level, in addition to the things that we talked about at the top of, the, of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed, you know, uh, people like me who have been incarcerated um, and impacted by the issue uh, to be able to go back into prisons, uh, federal prisons on a volunteer basis, um, to be able to facilitate courses, clinics, uh, et cetera. Um, It has really um, shown legislators that you can step out on faith and you can vote with conviction, um, no pun intended, and you can actually, you know, uh, demonstrate a degree of courage and still be employed. The world was not going to collapse because you did the right thing mm. by by human beings, not by ex-cons, not by prisoners, not by inmates. You did the right thing by human beings. I mean, you think about this, Michael. Mm-hmm. It should literally not take an act of Congress for us to say women should not be shackled while they are giving birth just because simply because they're incarcerated it should not take an act of congress for us to be able to say as a society oh you know what we are we are going to give free feminine hygiene products to women um who are incarcerated so they don't have to choose between um you know buying other things on commissary versus versus taking care of uh, taking care of a natural body bodily function right it shouldn't take that Mm -hmm. um and all of the legislators who did um vote 
uh, with their conscience um, and also with their heart on the First Step Act. Um, you know, they weren't impeached <laughs> by their constituency because they did the right thing. I think that people actually applauded them um, as 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 a result of such. That's uh, Brandon, what do you hope the takeaway is from the doc? I have a lot of takeaways personally. I was deeply, I, I mean, I was super inspired. I just, I want personally the the hope that we can work together with people who very, have very opposing ideas to a lot of us. Um, it gave me hope there. Uh, is that something you 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 were hoping people walked away from, or is there any other thoughts on what you hope they 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 take from this doc? Yeah, several things. Um, you know, first and foremost, I want people to walk out of the film with a little bit more empathy and understanding into how people that vote and feel and act differently than they do, mm -hmm. the reasons why they get there. I'm not, this film is not going to, I don't know anybody that's going to make a Democrat or Republican or change people's votes. It's just about opening up those lines of understanding. So the film is very intentionally, there is a way to make a film like this and tell a story that is just completely rooted in Van, Lewis, Jessica, like the Cup 50 team's perspective mm -hmm. and just sort of, you know, just tells that story. That's not the way this film is, is told. Patrice Cullors, who was opposed to this legislation, she is prominently featured in the film. Uh, conservative leaders, Jared Kushner is prominently featured in this film. People... It, the, the movie is created with a level of fairness and balance toward many different people from different backgrounds and political pers political perspectives to create an opportunity for an audience that might be if you're a progressive that is that is an abolitionist and you don't believe in uh, incremental change and you did not like the first step back you have a seat at the table to sit in this audience and watch this film and feel respected if you are somebody who loves van jones loves lewis l reed feels like everything they did was amazing you have a seat at the table if you're a conservative who loves or doesn't like van jones you have a seat in the audience as well and what's great is you have pers your perspective represented but you also are given an empathetic opportunity to understand people people's in the people featured in the film who have a different perspective so yeah. that's my number one hope my number uh -huh. two hope is sorry i said go ahead i want to hear it number two number two hope is look i'm from i grew up in the dc area mm -hmm. and i walked into having told stories in, in this city for now over a decade I was very cynical about Washington and about mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. And I felt like nothing can get accomplished. It's all smoke and mirrors. You know, this is the political process is broken. Mm -hmm. That was until I started production on this film. Then I followed Louis L. Reed, who's on the call with us, mm -hmm. go into senator's offices, share his personal lived experience dealing with the criminal justice system, being incarcerated, Seeing that conversation, um, his emotion reach that senator's ears and eyes and heart, that change their mind about either voting yes on this bill or what the bill included, then those conversations wound up in a piece of paper that's a bill that gets marked up 
that piece of paper eventually was voted on in the House and the Senate by a huge bipartisan vote and signed into law by the law and order president, Donald Trump. And then tens of thousands of people are coming out of prison and rejoining their families. Uh, Let me just say, I was in these rooms. I saw the power of advocacy happen in front of my eyes. And I'm here to tell the story that it's not, yes, it's a completely broken system. Yes, Washington is deeply polarized and we've got all sorts of problems to fix, but it is possible to get something done. And so I'm hoping the film can open up some faith and hope Mm -hmm. that with people like Lewis, with stories like this out into the world, there is some room to make an impact and and, uh, have that reach, you know, in the end, hopefully millions of people's lives. Yeah, it truly made me believe um, some things are possible that I, I was starting to not think were possible anymore um lewis any any closing thoughts here on, on what you hope from the film i'm sure more people talking about this issue is something you're um you know uh, happy about of course and you know getting the word out as that brandon and the kramer brothers are doing is a big big deal but uh any thoughts about what you hope the doc could do um i'm hoping yeah. that people will see it that they will spread the word yep. um that they will tell their friends their families this is a must see mm-hmm. um that this doc ranks up um in the categories of you know the 13th uh, amendment um and we just want people to come out um and spread the word and have a great time yeah yeah it's a fascinating story too what else brandon oh i was just gonna say um the film is you know to your point about hopes for the film hmm. it is coming out in theaters on friday in yeah. two days yeah. in new york in uh, washington dc in los angeles and then mm-hmm. about 30 other cities across the country if you are interested in seeing the film and finding out if it's playing in a city near you, go to firststepfilm.com mm-hmm. and it will soon thereafter, after its theatrical run, be released uh, on VOD as well. So it'll, it'll be, there'll be opportunities to stream it. And every single screening of this film across all 35 cities it's playing in is being presented by organizations working on the front lines of criminal justice oh, reform. Yeah. So you watch the film, there's going to be a conversation about what are people doing at the state and local level to advance bipartisan reform in those communities. And I hope if you're in a city where it's playing, come out and see it. If you're not, follow us, follow the film on social media, First Step Movie, follow Lewis L. Reed on social media and get involved in this fight to reform the criminal justice system. It's crucial. We'll be sharing all the links um, with the thing, so you can check that out there. Lewis, it's super inspiring to see, uh, learn more about what you're doing out there on the front line. Brandon, the things you are shining a light on are crucial, and the way you do it, it's captivating. So thank you guys both for coming on the program and talking about the, talk about the uh, doc. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate it. Some call me a sinner. Some call me a saint. Sometimes I'm a winner, sometimes I ain't. Well, God didn't wash everybody with the same color paint. And sunlight won't fade this black until it's dull and it's faint. Well, I know there's a purpose hidden under the surface. And all my life I heard that the truth shall set you free. 
Won't somebody tell the truth? Send for me. You set me free. I need the truth to set me free. From all the lies that they're telling on me, set me free. The truth to set me free, set me free. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.